Romans chapter 15, late in the chapter, verse number 25. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, a church he had never visited. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily. And their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Do you remember the, uh, the, old, uh, the old spinning tops? Remember the old spinning tops that uh, uh, we used to play with when we were kids? Uh, I don't know if they're still around anymore, but uh, they had the uh, little wooden top with a string wrapped around it, and, and we would uh, wrap that string up around it and, and give that top a, a spin and watch it spin on the surface of the, of the floor or whatever we threw it on, and that's... That uh, top would just spin and spin and spin and spin. As a kid, we would we would watch to see how long it would spin. Inevitable, it would uh, inevitably it would eventually uh, slow down and lose its momentum, and and then just kind of fall over sideways on the floor. And we'd see who could uh, spin the top and make it stay in motion the longest. Well, I don't know if they have those anymore. The modern day version is a, is the spinner, and uh, the spinner. Uh, and you can take that thing and hold it in your hand, or you can uh, put it on a surface and spin that thing, and that thing goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. You can watch that thing just go. It seems like it goes forever, and, and you can have competitions. Who can make the spinner spin the longest, put the most energy behind that spin, and uh, see that thing go? Uh, little spinning mechanisms. Uh, the, um, the result is always the same. Uh, you exert an amount of energy into the top or the spinner, and that spinner or that, uh, that uh, top will spin and spin and spin and spin until the energy begins to uh, fail. And inevitably, if you don't add more energy, and you can't do that with the top because you have to stop it to put the string around it to give it another throw. But with the spinner, you can always add a little energy from time to time and keep it going. But if you don't add any energy to the spinning mechanism, the end result is inevitable. It will gradually stop spinning. Does anyone know what we call that? Entropy. And what is the law of entropy that's sometimes talked about? The law of, the second law of thermodynamics that deals with entropy in a closed system. One, one, um, Professor of Physics described it this way. Uh, they said it at a very microscopic level. It simply says that if you have a system that is isolated, any natural process in that system progresses in the direction of increasing disorder or entropy of the system. And inevitably, the energy uh, runs out and it, uh, and it stops whatever it was doing. 
25 years ago, actually 24 years ago, we had our first missions revival here at Community Baptist Church. We entered into a partnership with our first missionaries. And man, we did it up big. And we had the time of our lives. We had some great missionaries in. We had a great missions revival. And we were excited. We were a young church ourselves, uh, just uh, a year old when we had the first revival. And, uh, and there was energy. There was excitement. There were new partnerships forged. Some of those partnerships still exist today, 24 years later. It was an exciting time. But you know, the second law of thermodynamics, or the law of entropy, tells us that the energy, the excitement of that mission's revival will not perpetuate itself without an intrusion of additional energy along the way. Eventually, the spinner stops spinning. If left without that extra energy, the life of missions in a church spins down and comes to a stop. That's why we have an annual missions revival. What's the purpose of a missions revival? Why have we had an annual missions revival every year now for 24 years? Well, the purpose really is to put a little bit more spin on that spinner. It's to reverse the natural law of entropy. It's to introduce more motion, more energy into a system that has at its core such excitement and such accomplishment. And so every year we have a missions revival. The word revival, of course, speaks of life. And revival speaks of of adding life to something, bringing something back to life, adding life to something that's there. And our mission's revival every year is for the purpose of interjecting some energy to the life of missions so that missions can all, that spinner can spin at top revolution and not spin down. Because without the addition of that, it, Additional energy, the mission's heart of Community Baptist Church would eventually peter out. And people wouldn't think of missions like they used to think of missions. And the church would remember the way it used to be when we were so excited about missions and missionaries in every part of the world. How do you overcome entropy? You add energy. That's how you overcome entropy. And in the mission's life of the church, the way we add entropy is every year having missionaries come and visit us every spring, having a missions revival for the purpose of bringing missions to the heartbeat of new people that have come into CBC, as well as keeping the entropy, keeping the energy going in all of our lives. You know, stewardship is is how God describes our lives. And, and, and let me say this. Missions in a church involves a commission, a compassion, and an action. Missions involves a commission that Jesus Christ gave to us to take the gospel to every creature all over the world. First in Jerusalem, then Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth, all at the same time. 
Missions involves a compassion because people who don't love people won't do that. People who don't love those that are in need of the gospel won't be excited about the commission of Jesus Christ. And then action is the is the what follows the compassion. The action that follows the compassion uh, that really is all about the stewardship of our lives. You know, the, the Bible describes our lives under the terms, God used the term stewardship. Stewardship is simply a relationship in which somebody who owns something entrusts the management of it to somebody else, the steward. This is a creation relationship, not a salvation relationship. It is a salvation relationship, but it didn't begin with salvation. It began with the day you were born. You say, why do you say that, preacher? Because the Bible teaches stewardship with regards to creation, not merely salvation. Which means that every person on the face of the earth, saved or unsaved, is under a stewardship relationship with God... That they breathe his air, they consume food grown from the elements of his earth, from which we get energy, from which we have the ability to learn, to grow, to get jobs, to produce things. Everything we have is because of God's creation of us and that which is around us. And because God created it, he owns it. And he allows us to manage his resources to accomplish his kingdom work. Stewardship is the relationship that identifies the way people are expected by God to operate. Jesus dealt with this subject multiple times in his ministry. The last time he dealt with it significantly in the Gospel of Luke was in Luke 16. And he dealt with it, he started with the saved and then he transitioned to the unsaved. And he, and he dealt with the unsaved and the unsaved on this issue of stewardship. And Jesus uh, spoke uh, significantly about it in that in that chapter, and he does in other places as well throughout the Gospels as Jesus teaches the stewardship relationship that he has with his creation. But some of the most detailed teaching we have in the Bible with regards to the stewardship of our lives, particularly the stewardship of our finances used to finance God's kingdom work all over the world, is found on the surface of a backstory. That's very interesting. And the passages of Scripture that go into the most detail in the New Testament about giving are passages of Scripture that are the surface of a backstory. And that backstory is mentioned in our text this morning in Romans chapter number 15. Romans chapter 15, I'm going to read again a portion of this passage. The Apostle Paul is kind of at the end of this backstory at this point, and he is writing to a church at Rome that had not been a part of this backstory. But he's explaining to the church at Rome that he needs to do a couple of things before he comes to see them. He says in verse 16, "...where it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia." Now notice those terms. I'm going to show them to you in a moment. On a map, it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. And so the Apostle Paul is referencing here a backstory from the book of Acts. 
something that had happened and that was going on throughout all of his missionary journeys. And now he wants to go to Spain. He wants to also go to Italy. He has never been that far west on his missionary journeys. But he's anticipating the opportunity to go and preach the gospel as far west as Italy and Spain. And so he writes this church in Rome that he had never visited. He had never been there personally, but he writes to them. And he tells them that he's going to be there to see them as soon as he wraps up this backstory of what's happening. And so what was happening was all of the churches that he had planted in his missionary journeys had taken upon themselves a responsibility. It was a responsibility to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Paul said in verse 27 that they consider themselves in a debt relationship. Because the gospel came to all of the churches that Paul planted, which means the gospel came from Jerusalem, where Jesus Christ has told his apostles to go and preach the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. And out from which the apostle Paul, from actually from Antioch, just north of Jerusalem, Paul was sent on all three of his missionary journeys. And so the, the missionary journeys took him transcultural, across culture, uh, to different countries. It took him to Asia Minor, took him to, to Europe. And, and the gospel in the Gentile areas had come from Jerusalem. Paul said they recognized they're in debt to the saints in Jerusalem. The saints in Jerusalem are the ones that sent out the gospel that reached them and transformed their lives. And now they feel a debtor relationship to those saints back in Jerusalem that had made such a difference in their lives by sending the gospel. And so he says in verse number 27, uh, they're in a debt relationship for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty. Now notice their duty. Because the Gentiles received spiritual life from the gospel sent by the Jewish people in Jerusalem, the Gentile believers feel a debt. They feel it's my duty to show kindness for kindness, to, to, to be involved in your lives. And so everywhere Paul went to plant a church in the Gentile world, he told them about the church back in Jerusalem. And a backstory developed of this, this relationship back to this church. Okay, let me go ahead and have that next slide, please. The, the Apostle Paul left Israel, Jerusalem, Antioch, and he took the gospel. Paul's missionary journeys revolved primarily around three areas. Galatia, which is what we would call now Turkey. Macedonia which we would call now the northern part of the Grecian Peninsula, and Achaia, which we would call the southern part of the Grecian Peninsula. So Paul took the gospel, and he started churches in Galatia, and Macedonia, and Achaia to be able to share with them the wonderful news that there's hope in life. Sin doesn't have to send you to hell. Jesus Christ in his life and death becomes hope to us. And in our life, 
and in our death, Jesus Christ is our hope today. That message began in Jerusalem and spread through the missionary journeys across uh, those areas. Now, on the next slide is another uh, map slide, but uh, on the back of your handout this morning, uh, you will find a map and you will find color coordinated back to the front side of your of your handout this morning, the areas of Galatia and Mas- Galatia in blue, Macedonia in green, and Achaia in red, uh, and a little bit zoomed in these three areas, and uh, you'll be able to follow this. Now we're not going to we're not going to take the time it would require for us to study through what's on the front side of your handout in detail this morning. We don't have that amount of time to be able to do that. I hope you'll make this a little personal study in your personal devotions, maybe in your, as, your, as a family uh, this next week, and, uh, and reason through these passages of Scripture. There's a backstory that kind of, it's, it's like a, a fog, it's happening, it's there, but, but you, you've got to think about it. And you've got to compare this passage from this book over here to this passage in this book, over here to this passage in this book. And when you study the Word of God, all of a sudden, a story appears of what was going on. And because of that backstory, God gave us the most detailed instructions on the stewardship of our finances that we find anywhere in the New Testament. And I want to introduce you to the, this uh, little bit of this, this story of what was happening. Uh, the, the poor saints at Jerusalem were mentioned there in Romans chapter 15, uh, which really is a, a, a good uh, key to the backstory. You remember in the book of Acts how that when Jesus Christ was crucified, resurrected, and then ascended, he left his apostles with the instruction uh, to evangelize the world and... Uh, and there was a lot of opposition, a lot of persecution. Do you understand that evangelism is messy? Evangelism is messy. Evangelism results in problems and issues. People get upset at somebody because they're witnessing to them. Sometimes governmental agencies will actually forbid and In some countries of the world, you can lose your head if you try to evangelize. Even in Israel, where it all began, it is illegal for a Christian to witness to anyone under the age of 18. You can be put in jail for witnessing to someone under the age of 18 in Israel. Evangelism is messy. Evangelism started that way. And in Jerusalem, when those, those believers that had gotten saved, and, and on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls in one day added to the ones that had already been saved, and, and they're, they're ready to explode in gospel evangelism. And persecution came. Men, husbands, dads were arrested and put to death. What happens, particularly in a culture like that existed at that time, what happens when a dad is put to death? He doesn't get a paycheck. What happens to mom and the kids? They don't have money to buy groceries. All of a sudden, the whole economy of the family turns upside down. 
If they weren't put to death, they were hailed off and put in prison. All of a sudden, persecution that broke out in Israel made poverty families out of good, godly families that loved Jesus Christ and had just recently gotten saved. And all of a sudden, dad's in jail if he's still alive. And there was immediately a, a large group of poor saints in Jerusalem. People who had lost everything for the cause of Christ. Evangelism is messy. And depending on where you are in the world and, and the relationships, the situations around you politically and, and, and emotionally, you know, evangelism is going to become very messy. And it did become very messy in Israel. And so everywhere Paul went, You know, when Paul came back from his first missionary journey, the Bible talks about it in Galatians chapter 2. He came back from his first missionary journey. They had a little bit of a doctrinal question as to some things he was preaching and teaching to the Gentiles. And so they ended up having a conference in Jerusalem. Paul was there and and various church leaders and discussions were made. And and at the end of it all, Galatians 2, 9 and 10 tell us that The Apostle Paul was encouraged by the saints in Jerusalem. Don't forget the poor folks here. Don't forget the poor folks here. Who've lost everything that the Gentiles might receive the gospel. And Paul, everywhere he went, told churches about the needs in Jerusalem. This is the back story behind some of the teachings that we read of in the books of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Acts and parts of the New Testament. Now, with that little bit of a backstory, I want to I point you to three important needs that we have as a church family based upon the backstory and what is happening here in our text. Need number one is we need to hear about the needs of world evangelism. Say, why do you say that, Pastor? Because if you go through the, the color-coordinated references here, let me do just a little bit of it with you over in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and verse number 1, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, which is down here in Achaia. And he says to the church in Achaia, he says to them, Now concerning the collection for the saints, this is the collection that Paul is orchestrating that is going to be sent back to Jerusalem to take care of the needs there. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia. So here we know when when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in Achaia, he said to them, I've already shared all of this with the churches in Galatia. I've told them of the needs of the people in Jerusalem. I've shared the information, the knowledge, the awareness that, that back in Jerusalem there are some significant needs. And so he then says to the church in Corinth in Achaia, as I have done this for the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. So he made 
The churches in Galatia aware of it when he was in Galatia. Now he's writing to the churches in Achaia and says, even so do you. I want you to do something too. I want you to feel this duty. I want you to feel this obligation. I want you to enter into this need that exists. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, and you may want to just hold your finger there, 1 Corinthians 16, and jump over to 2 Corinthians 8, because here in 2 Corinthians 8, and in verse number 1, in another letter to the church at Corinth, Paul says, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, an old English phrase, which means I want you to know, I want to make known to you, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, what graces of God had been bestowed on the churches of Macedonia? Well, in verse number four, he said the churches in Macedonia begged us, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. The church in Philippi primarily, from other references we know, and maybe the other churches as well up in Macedonia, Paul has shared with them the, the need to communicate, to fellowship, to be involved with the needs of the saints back in Jerusalem. So number one, we need to be aware of needs. And we see in Paul's writings that when Paul was with Galatia, he told them about Jerusalem. When Paul was writing to Achaia, he told them about Jerusalem. When Paul was in Macedonia, he told them about Jerusalem. We always need to hear about the needs of a world. And he's saying, now just a minute, preacher, there's something clicking here with me. You're talking about financial needs of saved people in Jerusalem... And then you're also talking about world evangelism. Yeah. Because it's all wrapped up in one big package. It's the evangelization of the world that caused the poverty. The work of reaching a world is messy. The work work of reaching a world involves a lot of things. You know, we've gone from extremes to extremes in Christianity. If if, if If you get out of your world... And, and read from other generations, maybe the 1900s, maybe the 1800s, maybe the 1700s. I mean, we're, we're 2,000 years into world evangelism. It's not the little lifespan that you live. We're 2,000 years into it. And Christians have gone from extreme to extreme. There was a time where, where Christians began to teach that The gospel really is all about helping people with their physical needs. And primarily, it was the liberals who had begun to deny salvation through the blood of Christ. And so many liberals began to preach that the gospel is God helping a poor person to have food and clothes, and God helping a a farmer to learn how to grow better crops, and, and, and so the phrase, the term social gospel was created. The gospel is all about social needs in a society. And, and, and all the money went to social needs. And that became the mantra coming from liberal Christianity. Bible Christians recognized there's something wrong with that. The gospel is not mere social the gospel is far bigger than that. The gospel is eternal. 
It's, it's the blood of Christ to, to wash away our sins so that we can have eternal life and enjoy God forever. It's not about whether I have a meal to eat Friday night. And so social gospel. And so the pendulum began to swing in the other direction. Amongst Bible Christians, not a penny would go to helping anyone with a physical need. Not a penny would go to help anyone with, with a, a, a food need, a clothing need, or something of that nature. And, and, then, and then the pendulum swung that way so far as that Christians were, were looked upon by those of, a, of a, a less biblical, if I could say it that way, position. That they're, they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. They don't care about anything. Let the person suffer and die as long as we can get the gospel to them that will take them to heaven when they die. And so the pendulum swang. In our day today, if you're attentive, amongst evangelical Christians, the pendulum has, has rested back away from that extreme a little bit. So what do you mean? Well, we have people every month, I, myself included, that give to manna. And every month, Community Baptist sends off a gift to manna ministries. You remember what manna ministries is all about. We supply funds to independent fundamental Baptist missionaries to be able to buy food, to feed the hungry, to build a relationship, to preach the gospel. This year we have Bradley Edmondson coming in for medical missions. He's going to share with us what is happening, amazing things happening as they take medical teams, doctors, nurses, medicines, and they go into countries and they work with an independent fundamental Baptist missionary and they set up uh, a, a center for surgeries and for dental work and for all kinds of things free. And, and, and people, the needy, come to that. And while they're waiting, they're being witnessed to. The, the plan of salvation is being preached. And, and the medical is not an end in itself. The medical is not the end. The medical is the means to build a relationship, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone that they could have eternal life. And so the pendulum seems to always be swinging from one extreme to the other. Oftentimes, in my experience, I have heard the passages about financial stewardship that is the surface of this backstory preached as if in its context, it was an instruction on how much money to give to send a missionary to preach the gospel. That is a part, but the backstory was poor saints that were already gone to heaven in Jerusalem to whom churches in the Gentile world were collecting money to send to buy them food to eat. I say evangelism is messy. Evangelism requires a lot of things from a lot of different angles to be effective and successive to evangelize and to get the gospel to the people who need the gospel. And we need to hear about those needs. We need to be aware of those situations. And we need to be innovative enough to be able to use tools that will enable us to have a listening ear to hear the sweet story of Jesus Christ. We need to hear about the needs. And that's what a missions revival is all about. To be able to hear 
We're going to have missionaries here next week that are from different countries. They're going to share with us what's happening in their countries. Like we do every year when we have a missions revival. We're putting another spin on that spinner. We're helping us to be rejuvenized. Revival. Rejuvenized in our awareness of the needs of this world. It is a difficult world to evangelize. We've been at it for 2,000 years. It gets messy in some parts of the world. We need to know what's happening in God's world that we're responsible for. That's why we have a missions revival. Let me show you the other two, and I'll primarily leave them to you for your study and reflection. Number two, we need to hear about what others are doing to meet the need. This is a powerful part of a missions revival. We need to hear about what others are doing to meet the needs. You see... When you get into this backstory and you read these passages, if you do the color coordination and read these passages and think about it, the Apostle Paul was always telling who he was with what other people were doing. When he was with the Corinthian, when he was, um, he told the Corinthian church to help, and then he told the Macedonian churches what the Corinthian church was doing, and then the Macedonian church got excited. Do you understand that? When Paul was, was with the Corinthian church, he told them, hey guys, we need to take care of the poor saints in Jerusalem. Then he went up to Macedonia and he says, hey, you all ought to hear what they're doing down in Corinth. And then when he came back down to Corinth, he said, some of the guys from Macedonia are coming with me to carry the money. And I bragged on what you guys were doing down here in Corinth. And, and because of what you were doing, they got excited. And they began to give and to sacrifice. As a matter of fact, when you really get into the details, the church at Philippi did more than any other church anywhere. They got involved to a degree that was different than the church at Corinth. And that stemmed from Paul bragging to them about the church at Corinth and what it was doing. And now he's got some of the members coming with him. They're going to circle back down through Corinth they got the money from Macedonia. They're going to circle it down, get the money from Corinth. And Paul gets to thinking, I hope they come through on what they told me they were going to do. This is going to be really embarrassing. If I get down there and they're not ready, and these guys that sacrificed so deeply because they were motivated by what Corinth was doing, and they find out that Corinth ain't done nothing, I'm going to look really bad as the missionary. And so he rode ahead to the church at Corinth. He said, now guys, do, make sure you've done what you told me you were going to do. And he even reflected back to himself and said, this is going to look really bad on me if you don't do what you said you was going to do. See, you get into the details and you find out that in the New Testament, they told what others were doing to motivate people to be able to get involved as well. That's what a missions revival is all about. We're going to hear from missionaries. They're going to tell us what others are doing. They're going to tell us about needs. They're going to, uh, they're going to tell about others. And, and, you know, when you get into, I think of Third John, how, how the, the missionaries had gone from church to church. And, and, and they went to, uh, went to a church and they said, wow. And they bragged on the church that they had been in before. They said, wow, that church really loves missionaries. You know what they did for us? You see in the New Testament this back and forth. Where the, the knowledge of what others are doing 
If you knew what Independent Baptist in Clinton is doing, if you knew of what XYZ Church in whatever state is doing, if you were aware of what they're doing over in this part of the world, and when we learn what others are doing, we don't want to be a Johnny-come-lately. I don't want to get to the beam of seat judgment and find out that I didn't do diddly squat in comparison to other people in my generation. Uh, people that were sacrificing, people that were giving, people that were serious about world evangelism. And here I was just worried about my 401k. And, and get to heaven and give an account to God for all that? No, when we learn what others are doing, that encourages us to do something as well. That's what a missions revival is all about. We want to understand better the needs of the world. We want to understand what others are doing to motivate us to also be involved and to have a part in what is happening in the world. And then third, we need to ask God what we should be doing. We need to ask God what we should be doing to meet the needs of world evangelism. I'll give you a little assignment here, a little one and two. Number one speaks of sight-giving in Corinth. What's sight-giving? You study the passages listed there about the church in Corinth, and you'll find out that they were not asked to give by faith. They were asked to give out of their bank account. He said, give according to what you've already got. And then when he wrote to the church at, at Philippi, in Macedonia, he talked to them about faith giving. He said they gave beyond themselves. They, gave, they gave beyond their ability. They gave what they didn't have. They gave by faith what they couldn't put on a ledger sheet and show how they could survive if they gave that amount of money. And you find both taught in the New Testament. Give by sight. Look at your bank account. Look at your budget. and Figure out what you could sacrifice and do without. And figure out what you could do to be involved in world evangelism. That's sight giving. Also taught in the New Testament is faith giving. Giving what you don't have. Promising God something that you don't know how it's going to happen. Or where it's going to come from. You're going to give by faith. Why are both taught? Because we're not all in the same place in our walk with Jesus Christ. You study the church at Corinth, it was a, it was a pretty low-level church when it comes to spirituality. It was a pretty carnal church. He didn't ask them to give by faith. They were so carnal, he just asked them to get involved. He gave them a threshold they could get involved in as a less spiritually-minded people. He said, look at what you can afford. Look what you got and give out of what you have. But when he wrote to the church at Philippi, you study the church at Philippi in the New Testament. It was a cutting edge church, maybe the most spiritually minded church in the New Testament. He didn't tell them to just give out of your bank account. They were walking with God close enough. They could trust God for what they couldn't explain. And when God laid upon their heart. What God wanted to do through them in the work of world evangelism, financing God's kingdom around the world. They, yes, God, I'll do that. I can't, I don't know how I can afford it, but yes, God, I'll do that. And by faith they gave what they didn't have. But by the way, you've got you to understand the end of the story. 
It was to the church at Philippi. The church that gave beyond their ability such that they created a financial hardship in their own lives. Struggling financially because of what they had given to evangelize the world. It was to that church that God made a promise in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Where did those needs come from? Not from buying a bigger color TV that I can't, don't have the money to buy for it, but I'm going to buy it anyway. I'll credit now that I'm going to make the payments. Where do those financial needs come from? They came from what they gave to evangelize the world. And God's promise was, I'll take care of your needs according to my paycheck, according to my bank account. When your bank account is insufficient, I'm God. My bank account is bottomless. And I'll take care of your need according to my riches in glory. And so he prescribed different things for different people. For some of you, it would be a great step forward to say, you know, I'm going to get involved this year in world evangelism and figure out what you could do. Look at your bank account. Look at your budget. Figure out what you could do. For some of you, it would be more of a faith matter. God, I want to do. I want to do something significant for your glory to meet the needs of a world gone to hell. I want to be involved. God, what, what do you want to do through my life? And then it becomes more of a faith matter in life. We need to know what the needs of the world are. We need to know what others are doing to meet those needs because that encourages us to do something too. And we need to know what God wants us to do individually. So you received, as you always do, the faith promise commitment card. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's got a box for those who have been giving in the past and are going to continue to give and then increase it if, they're going to, if you're going to increase it. And then there's a middle box that has to do with manna that I have been given to man, giving to manna. And I'm going to continue or I'm going to continue and increase it by an additional amount. And then the bottom box is, you know, I've never, I've never been involved in the missions ministry of CVC. I've never given anything to missions. I've never given anything to faith promise missions. I've never given anything to man of missions. But this year I'm going to begin giving to missions. That's the backbone, by the way. That's the. Go ahead and give me that next slide. I can't uh, uh, um, skip down to the one with the with the couple lines at the bottom. This is what happened last year, 2020. We received $202,000 in our missions and man, everything related to missions. We received 202000 in 2020 during COVID. And we distributed uh, just under $2,001,000 to missions uh, during that year. And the, the bulk of that, the biggest part of that is faith promise giving which funds all of our missionaries that are all over the world. And so there's that card for you to take home when you get your booklet on um, page number six and seven. There's some, some things. Back me up to where you were uh, just a second ago. There's, there's things, you know, does our heart, do you know our heart used to beat for missions? Now, I'm not saying it doesn't now, but, you know, that can become a reality. 
It used to be, but the spinner spun down. And so what can we do to keep the spinner spinning? What can we do to make sure every year that the heart of Community Baptist Church beats for missions? Well, as we have every year on the next slide, there's three things we ask you to do. To pray, to give, and uh, to pray, to adopt, and to give. And those are mentioned on, on your booklet, What Can I Do? And it's got that little diagram, and it explains what I can do as an individual. And when we put all of that together, then the church together accomplishes for God for what we can do. And then, by the way, on page number six, there's also a little What is Faith Promise Giving? Interesting reading to read if you've never been involved in that before. What's the next slide there? Is that it? Yes. And the next slide, is that gone? Okay. Here's the missionaries that are going to be with us next week. We've got the Downs family that are coming to our area from Ethiopia. From Ethiopia. They have a burden for Ethiopians in the Washington, D.C. area. And they're coming to plant a church for everyone that lives in that proximity. But they're looking for a place to plant that church where there's a strong Ethiopian presence. The Merlots. The missionaries that will be with us that we have supported for many, many, many years in Argentina. we got the Miller family, brand new. They're getting ready to go to Peru. They're going to be with us. And then we've got Bradley Edmondson who's going to be preaching. And uh, he's involved in medical missions all over the world, building bridges with unsaved people to help missionaries reach their communities for Jesus Christ. You know, I I remember um, back when I was in Canada so many years ago, I was on door-to-door visitation, knocked on a door on Center Street, just down the road from Center Street Baptist Church in uh, St. Thomas, and knocked on a door, and a, and a lady answered the door. She was an elderly lady. Her name was Jessie Rosser. We chatted for a while. Uh, she had retired in 1987 at the age of 65 after 40 years as a missionary in India. She was sent by the Center Street Baptist Church just down the road. And she made this statement. I wrote it down when I, when I left her home. She said, I could have stayed here and taught. She was talking about as a young single lady growing up at Center Street Baptist Church in St. Thomas. She said, I could have stayed here and taught. Taught about missions. Taught in church. But I chose India. People thought I was crazy to go. To give up family and marriage. But I did it for Christ, and I wouldn't change it for anything. You think I gave up so much, but I don't think so. I think I gained so much. You know, when you get involved in missions, it's not not that you've given up so much. It's you've gained so much. And then right down the road from me was Olive Britton, who was a member of the church that Betty's dad pastored Bethel Baptist in Simcoe. She also had spent 40 years in India. She retired also after 40 years of service. And she, I heard her tell the story about how she was a young lady at Bible college and she had a passion for India and went to prayer meetings for India and she had a burden to take the gospel to India. And there was a young man who also had a burden for India, who had given his life to take the gospel to India. And they prayed together and they talked about India and, they, and their, their relationship became more than just a casual interest or a, a interest in India. And they got engaged and she was wearing an engagement ring and they were going to graduate and they were going to get married and they were going to go to India's missionaries. And they were so excited 
And one day the young man came up to her, came up to Olive and said, Olive says, I, I just God's been working in my heart. And and I know I know that that God doesn't want me to go to India, but rather he wants me to stay here in Canada and preach the gospel here in Canada. And Olive Britton, according to her own testimony, without any deliberation, she reached down and she pulled the engagement ring off her finger and handed it to the man. He said, oh, Olive, he says, this doesn't change our relationship. She said, oh, yes, it does. God called me to go to India. If God hasn't called you to go to India, then God has not called us to be married. Olive went to India, spent 40 years preaching, not preaching, but helping with the, the ministries there in India, preaching the gospel and evangelizing and witnessing. And when it was all said and done, Olive gave a tremendous testimony. She said that she served God for many years, happy, contented, and fulfilled as a saint of God. Listen, you can't go wrong being involved in missions. It's the heartbeat of God. And whatever level, from the level of giving and praying to the level of going with your life, You will never come up short when you give yourself to the work of missions. We need to know the needs of the world. We need to know what others are doing. And we need to know what God wants us to do. And that's what our missions revival is all about. I'm looking forward to next week. We'll have a great time with the missionaries. Uh, Encourage you to be praying and anticipating. And even begin analyzing in your own heart what God wants you to do for the cause of world evangelism.